Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers. And this is where the best run. We're in season six of this long running series. Used to be called the future of cars, and we've expanded to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers. We have a lot to cover. And I have got a topic today that is on everybody's minds. It impacts you whether you're in manufacturing, whether you're in mobility, whether you're in specifically automotive, aerospace, just as a consumer, wait till you hear what we're talking about so you don't want to miss this hour. Just settle in. So I have a buzz quote from Dave Waters, who was a senior European supply chain manager. There, I said the word at Steris Corporation. Listen to this quote. Supply chains are everywhere from the biggest company in the world to running your own household. We all have supply chain experience, even if we don't know it. So that sets the stage. And then I have one more quote from supplychaintoday.com. Yes, there is a website called supplychaintoday.com. Listen up. The importance of supply chain in the C-suite is immense. At one time, supply chain was an afterthought. Oh, we'll talk about our supply chain. Now with companies like Amazon and Apple and Walmart showing the importance of supply chain, no one can take the credibility away. So Supply chain was discussed constantly in the C-suite in 2020. We all know why, because of the pandemic we call COVID-19. So let me give you a little more background and then I'll introduce my two very special guests. The past 18 months with the world disrupted by an unfortunate global pandemic, we're still dealing with it, have shown us the importance of supply chain management. The results are being felt today in many industries and the consumers like all of us who rely on them. To cope with this ongoing disruption, your company, and I'm talking to our global listeners all over the world, your company supply chains need to be at least three things, transparent, uh-huh, connected, you bet, and resilient. And resilient is perhaps the, the categorization, the classification we're looking for today. Here's some lessons learned. Industrial manufacturers who had already invested in digitalization, long word, listen up, and Industry 4.0 were better able to seize the opportunity to reinvent their supply chains and respond with agility to new business opportunities. Yes, there were new business opportunities in the past year and a half, new markets, new customers, new business models. You had to be ready to seize those opportunities. If you weren't, you couldn't. That's it. So there's good news. By using real-time demand data throughout your supply chain and the factory floor of your manufacturer, newer and better ways to make and deliver things are now possible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I have two experts, two specialists from SAP. We have David Dreyer, who was on a show with me several years ago. Welcome back, David. And we have Chow Yi at SAP, newcomer to Game Changers. And they're going to share their insights on how digitalization and Industry 4.0 innovation can help make manufacturing and supply chains nimble simpler, more agile, and the big R word, more resilient. Again, I'm Bonnie D. Graham in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And a shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP, the sponsor of this long running series. Judy, this is a great topic. And I thank you for inviting and engaging David and Chow for us today. So let's get started. David Dreyer, there might be- Good morning. 
good morning. There might be oh about 20 people in the world who don't remember you because it's been a couple of years yes. since you've been on Game Changer. So why don't you talk to them, David? I'm going to put you, we are recording this on Zoom. I'm going to put you on full speaker view. Tell them who you are, what you do now, and what's your passion for our topic today. David, welcome. Yes, thank you, Bonnie. Happy to be here. And good morning. Uh, I am David Dreyer, part of SAP's uh, Digital Supply Chain Center of Excellence. And basically what I do is go out and talk with companies, generally uh, large enterprise or global companies who are challenged by this whole concept of how do we adopt Industry 4.0. SAP has a program called Industry 4.0Now, which is really a recognition on our part that today's uh, industries and companies understand that now is the time to be adopting these new technologies for the very reasons that Bonnie just mentioned. I previously came from manufacturing. I spent 10 years in the automotive industry, buildings, building out smart factories. So uh, really boot on the ground experience with what it takes to achieve industry 4.0 capabilities. And I got very passionate about that because we saw the tremendous uplift in our manufacturing capability as a result of that. So my passion in general is about the future and finding very pragmatic ways to apply these technologies to drive real value, real benefits for companies and industries at large. So I love aerospace and defense, love industrial uh, manufacturing, two of my concentration areas. But overall, I enjoy the conversations with customers and we are seeing wonderful things happening out there. So happy to be here. Thank you very much, and I appreciate your passion. You certainly have been around for a while. And is resilience the word of the day, David Dreyer? Is it? it is an SAP. And, sure. Well, it needs to be for, well, SAP impacts companies and industries all over the world. So, therefore, yeah. it is around mm-hmm. the world. We're going to talk about that. Thank you. Good to have you back. Chow Yi, so happy to meet you. Met you on a prep call the other day. We're delighted to have you. I'm going to put you on full speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself and telling us what your passion is? Sure, and thanks, Bonnie, for having me today. I'm glad to be here. Um, this is Chow. I'm part of SAP Industries team. And let me kind of briefly introduce what we do at the SAP Industries team. Essentially, we play the role as a bridge between what's happening in the industry, what customers in each of the industries are asking for, what kind of trends happening in each of the industries, and what's going on with SAP. So what do I mean by that are essentially twofold. One, we bring all the customer voices, what they require, what they ask for, what their strategic directions are to the SAP's team, primarily the product side, so that we can influence all the products we push to the market. And secondly, we develop SAP's thought leadership industry strategy so that we can have a point of view around what's happening in the industry. And in my background, I actually started my career as a SAP engineer, probably 10 years back when I was coding the programs on the SAP platform then. And then I slowly transitioned from the technical side to the business side did my MBA, moved to management consulting, which is where I was um, working at before I came to SAP. So I was a management consultant with CY Parthenal, the strategy consulting arm of Ernest & Young. And my passion really is to help customers and companies that I work with to with their business or di- digital transformation. And the reason I'm so passionate about that is such a complex problem, although it's just two words, digital transformation, but it cuts across people, cuts across operating model, cuts across your technology, cuts across your strategy, everything is included. So that's a really complex problem. I enjoy solving that problem with the companies that I work with. Thank you very much, Chow. Very, very interesting. And and do you agree that resilience and digitalization go hand in hand? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially, you know, I think in the new normal, I don't want to call it post-COVID because I think COVID will be here for a while. Yeah. But at least in the new normal, I think these are the two key themes that we see 
across multiple industries. And I call it the new reality, or the <laughs> next reality, because it's what, what's real at the moment. Yeah, there's, there is no such thing as normal anymore. It's yeah. what's real. Where are we? Who are we? What is the world doing? Very, very interesting. And as I mentioned, Chow, in my opening, uh, in my monologue remarks, companies that had already gone through their digital transformation, that big word that I had to learn to pronounce, digitalization, <laughs> were poised. They were ready. They could say, wait a minute, we have all this equipment on the manufacturing the floor, the, the factory floor, and we can do something else. We can have a new business model. We can have a new product. Thank you very much, both of you, for the introduction. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie, a song, a TV show, something that on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with our topic because it would be hard to find a movie quote about, I think, about supply chain, although maybe there will be some this coming year or two. And they have sent me some really interesting quotes, and they're going to explain in their own words exactly why they picked the quote and what it does have to do with the topic. So David Dreyer has sent us a quote from well, one of my favorite characters and one of the world's favorite characters, Ellis Boyd Red. He calls himself Red, Red Redding, played by the inimitable and iconic Morgan Freeman in the movie The Shawshank Redemption, a 1994 American drama film that was interestingly enough based on a Stephen King novella from 1982 called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. And I surprised David when I told him that Rita Hayworth was a very, very beautiful redhead movie star back in the day. So you can all look her up. Here's the quote. It's part of a very, very long monologue by Red. I'm going to read just the part we're talking about today. Some things are best left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. Oh, what a beautiful quote. David Dreyer, talk to me. How does this apply to supply chain and digitalization? Go ahead. Yes, well, certainly an expert from a favorite or an excerpt from a favorite movie of mine as well. However, in this context that we're talking about today, let's start with some things are best left unsaid. I think this is an extension of what we just were talking about a few minutes ago, which is this idea of returning our supply chains to normal. In fact, when we look at why we were, found ourselves in such difficulty as a result of the pandemic. It was because there are fundamental flaws within supply chains today. We do not want to go back to where we were pre-pandemic. We want to continue to invest and leverage new technologies and capabilities that will drive amazing improvements in that resiliency that we're striving for. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. The, the movie Shawshank Redemption was really fundamentally about hope. And much of that quote uh, that Bonnie's just reading from, when you read the whole thing, you realize the concept of freedom for those inmates was really sprung from hope. And Andy, the lead protagonist in the movie, was really delivering hope to the prison inmates. And I think where we are today, hope married to vision is what will get us to the next level of supply chain excellence and capability. Hope married to vision. David, you have outdone yourself when we're only 13 minutes into the show. I have to tell you, because you said it was one of your favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, that it is considered by many to be one of the greatest films ever made. 
It is the highest rated movie on IMDb, the International Movie Database, with 9.3 and 2.4 million ratings, the highest for any movie. And this is current. This is a current statement on Wikipedia. So we know it's true. And it didn't do well in the box office, but it became one of the top rented films of 1995. Interesting. So it is iconic. And a lot of my guests pick quotes from that movie. So thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. And and I like the way you related the quote. We have so much to talk about with you. Chow has sent us a quote from a Another iconic movie. This one is Good Will Hunting. And in the quote, the scene, I have the scene. I've watched it on YouTube. Thank you, Chow. Dr. Sean McGuire, played by Robin Williams, who we know left us brilliant, brilliant performer and thinker and a comedy strategist and observer of everything, Robin Williams. And he was saying it to Will Hunting, the subject of the, it was not Hunting for Goodwill, it was Will Hunting was the character played by Matt Damon. And Matt wrote the film with Ben Affleck, interestingly enough, 1997 American drama film. I'll let you all look it up. It's something everybody needs to see. And here's the quote, four little words, you're not perfect, sport. I had to put sport in there, Chow, because that's part of the quote. So you're not perfect. Let's talk. Chow, how does this relate to our topic, resilient supply chains? Go ahead. Absolutely. And before I comment on that, so I, I really think, you know, um, David really kind of tied it very beautifully, like how his quote like, relates to our topic today. And I, I'm not sure whether I can meet that, but I'll try my best. <laughs> so the, the way I see like how this quote, like you're not perfect sport, like ties with our topic, which is around manufacturing supply chain twofold. One. I think COVID really kind of struck a lot of companies in the way that, you know, they realized that there are a lot of rooms they can improve on their supply chain manufacturing. Although some of those companies, they tend to kind of see themselves as some kind of leaders or they have a streamlined operations before the COVID. But COVID somehow became a vehicle that realized, oh, although I'm running my supply chain the way that I think efficiently enough, but there are rooms that I can improve. So you're not perfect. And the second fold is really, it's okay to be not perfect. And I think this is where I'm really getting passionate about digitalization, which is companies should realize that there will always be rooms that you can improve and enhance leveraging technologies, find a way that you can tie the technologies with overall strategy and help keep pushing forward your frontier on operations is really something that companies all should be doing and it will maximize returns for shareholders. And I keep saying this because eventually companies, unlike people, and this is a silo difference that this quote relates to personal life versus corporate life is personal life, it's okay to be not perfect. No one's perfect. Let's acknowledge here. But in a corporate setting, it's always good to strive and to be perfect. Although you know it's a journey for you to go there and there will always be an obstacle challenges ahead, but that's how companies should be doing. So that's how I see like my quote relates to the topic today. Thank you. And thank you for taking it from personal to corporate. Very interesting. There are statements that something like great is the enemy of good or good is the enemy of great. I get mixed up which way we're going with that. But the point is that it's very interesting that we want companies need to move ahead. The point is that you have to keep moving, right, David and Chow? Companies needed to keep moving and they didn't get it perfect during the pandemic. Companies that were manufacturers of, of alcoholic beverages became manufacturers of hand sanitizer, right? When there was a, a dearth of that on the supply chain. So there's all kinds of things that companies needed, but they didn't have time to wait. They needed to, they needed to just move ahead. You're not perfect sport, but let's get in business. Let's keep supplying what people need. Let's do it fast. Let's be nimble, agile, and resilient. So it, it, there is a, maybe there's a different 
look at that type of thing going forward because we've all learned such amazing lessons. By the way, both of you, are you still waiting for anything to be delivered? I don't need to know what your purchasing habits are, but I know I waited a month and a half uh, a, a year ago for a new Macintosh in the middle of pandemic. And mm. I waited just a couple weeks ago, I waited a month and a half for a screen storm door from the front of my house. Chow, have you had any experiences with supply chain being delayed still? Yeah, I'm actually started shopping, you know, the market for a new car because my wife and I, we've been driving this car for a few years and we thought, hey, it's time to kind of get something new. And we realized that there's a big shortage of the chips uh, for the auto manufacturers, which kind of delays a lot of kind of delivery of the cars. So I have to kind of put my plan to get a new car a little bit on hold for now. <laughs> there you go. And I just got an ad from a local car dealer here in Durham, North Carolina, who said, we can't guarantee we're going to have any inventory past the yep. next four weeks, new or used. Yeah. Nor use David any supply chain impact on you as a consumer. Uh, nothing as life impacting as uh, you know trying to acquire a new automobile. But I did have to order a specialized bag, and it's for a piece of equipment that I have, uh, special dimensions. And of course, because it was fabric, we all know where fabric is sourced from, right? So I ordered it last July. They called me in February to let me know it had arrived. So that's unusual, but it, not, not a big inconvenience, just an obvious recognition that everybody was suffering delays. Obvious so. recognition. Thank you very much. And that's what companies are dealing with, with their supply chains. You say, where is my door? Where is my bag? Where is my car? Well, it's a problem with the supply chain because of the pandemic. So the you know what hit the fan and companies and consumers are dealing with it all up and down that chain. Let's move on to the roundtable part of the show. I've asked David and Chow to send me four discussion statements each. I'll pick and choose where we're going to go. I'm going to read a little bit first off from David Dreyer's first statement. It was very long in detail, which is wonderful, rich with details, David. I'll read a little bit and ask you to expand it, or as they say on the news, mm -hmm. unpack it for a couple minutes. And then Chow, I'm going to challenge you and ask you to agree or disagree don't be afraid to disagree with David Dreyer. I, I guarantee he's a very nice person. And we're looking for a good dialogue here. So here's what David told me. He said, manufacturers discovered an important Achilles heel of supply chain as a result of last year's Black Swan event. David, that's so picture, picture perfect, that sentence. I'm not going to read anymore. Why don't you explain Black Swan? And I'm just going to hesitate. I'm not going to hesitate to say there might be somebody in the audience who doesn't know what an Achilles heel is, David. I'm sorry, but that's something a lot of us learned way back. I think it's from sure. Greek, Greek, Greek lore. And why don't you enlighten us on Black Swan and Achilles heel and then relate it to the topic. Go ahead, David. Sure. So uh, Black Swan very simply is something that cannot be foreseen or predicted, but typically has very adverse effects. And in this case, globally adverse effects. So we try to do the best we can with forecasting, predicting. I mean, that's the very nature of business today. The better we do at that, the better we can run our business and be successful. But black swans are by very nature, um, highly disruptive and unpredictable. The Achilles heel reference was just that the god Achilles had a secret that was unknown to many combatants uh, who took on Achilles. And that was that his heel was his one source of weakness, much like Samson with his hair getting cut off. So the Achilles heel in this context was inventory. There had been such a move over, well, really decades now to lean out factories. And by lean out, obviously we mean reduce the footprint of inventory, reduce the carrying cost, the obstacles that inventory represents uh, and become more agile in terms of 
tying and connecting customer demand and orders to what you in turn procure and supply to the lines in your production facility. So I remember maybe 15 years ago walking through a particular factory where the inventory was piled so high next to the operator workstations, it was difficult to navigate and also dangerous, right? So there's a safety component as well. But today, when you typically walk through a modern, certainly a smart factory, what you see is very little evidence of inventory at the line side itself. It'll be in small containerized uh, platforms where the folks who are doing the work can retrieve and scan or do what's necessary, but it's largely sequenced for the necessary material required as part of the build material for what's being built. Now. The short end of that stick is that once you have disruption in the very rapid, low interval cycle times when that inventory gets replenished, you're going to disrupt and stop your manufacturing process. So you're very, you must be very synchronized across the entire supply chain. The concept that any chain only as good as its weakest link certainly applies here. It's not good enough for you to be equipped to manage that lower level of inventory. Your mm-hmm. suppliers upstream have to be able to meet that and do so reliably. And what we saw here was leaned out inventories resulted in shortages that could not be replenished. That obviously doesn't apply to say, you know, engineered, highly engineered products that are unique to a customer, but where you have higher volume, certainly uh, there is a value inventory as a bulwark against disruption has a place in the business planning and having some level. What we're trying to all do now is figure out what is the right level of inventory where. So we have tools to help us do that today. Demand-driven MRP is one example. More intelligence being applied to figuring out what should the safety stock levels be and where. And lots of great tools to help us do that today. So that's part of the intelligence that's being built into the new supply chains. Thank you very much, David. Good overview. Ciao. I'm going to put you on speaker view. Please agree or disagree with Mr. Dreyer. Go ahead. And Bonnie, if I may, before I kind of, you know, state my, you know, whether I agree or disagree, let me let me actually break it down, you know, um, for the audience and for all of us. I think David brought up really good two interesting and very good discussion points for us. One is about the lean principles in the manufacturing, which has kind of taken us in for quite a, a, a few decades that, you know, manufacturers, they all take like lean principles as they go to principles whenever they, have, they want to reduce the waste. And, you know, there was, and nowadays you see some kind of, you know, um, ideas in, in the market, people start challenging how is Lean still kind of applicable, is still relevant in the industry with all this technology available. And, you know, actually COVID posed a question, hey, you know, we apply Lean and as David rightfully said, hey, you kind of have such a Lean operations, you have such a linked inventory, but eventually causing some problems. So is Lean still kind of applicable? Is Lean still relevant? So my point on that, I think Lean still applies. And I think it's a principle that is now being furthered by the digital technologies. And let me give you an example here that. So one of seven or eight ways that Lean principle try to eliminate is overproduction, right? And how Lean does that is by aligning the demand with the supply capacity, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, with the technology such as advanced ad- analytics nowadays, you actually can further the Lean principles in eliminating your overproduction, right? So essentially, I don't think Lean is become old, outdated. I think it's going to be furthered by the adoption of the industry for the technologies. Mm-hmm. And let me come to kind of my second point, which is around the inventory. That's the example David gave in the comment. And let me rightfully disagree in some context that 
I think COVID, yes, it is, it is an event, it is a black swan event that posed questions to the manufacturers. Hey, should we have more inventory reserved? Whether it's finished goods, my kind of sold products, or it's some kind of my parts, materials that I use for the manufacturing of products. I think the answer is a little bit complicated in the sense that I think the rightful answer, at least in my opinion, is companies should have a way more sophisticated and digitally enabled strategy towards inventory. And what, what do you mean by that? As David said, nowadays with all these technologies, you know, dynamic MRP, you know, what if analysis, what if scenarios enabled by all these analytic tools, machine learning, AI, companies essentially have a choice to have a more sophisticated inventory strategy rather than simply saying, oh, I learned this from COVID that, hey, I should have more inventory and now let's stock up in case there's another black swan. You cannot afford that. And the reasons are pretty straightforward. One, inventory sits on your balance. Everybody knows increase their working capital. It's not good. Secondly, and a lot of times people don't look at it, is all those kind of analysts, especially for the part, uh, from the Wall Street, they look at your inventories divided by the working capital to see whether you are op operating efficiently. And that will impact all the kind of stock prices you have, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really a big, big price that companies need to pay if they decide to hold, or, um, hold more inventories in their balance sheet. So my statement on this or my comment is, yes, it is a black swan event. It triggers the thought that we be, maybe we should revisit our inventory strategy. But I think nowadays companies have an option to develop a more sophisticated inventory strategy with all these technologies available to them. So that's kind of my comments. Interesting, interesting. David Dreyer, I'm going to give you a chance to chat back to Chow. What do you think? Agree or disagree? I, I love his elaboration on the essence of that topic around lean in particular. And yes, I, I would totally agree that lean's not going away, nor is it no longer appropriate, but it needs to get smarter. And I think that's the point that Chow is making. So, you know, you look at, look at it, for example, commodities, okay? And we see what's happening today with inflated prices around commodities across the world. There may be economic order cycles that you want to use to take advantage of price swings in commodities that say you're going to raise or decrease inventory based on some of those economics of scale. So it depends also on the material and where it's coming from and all those factors. But to Chow's point, we have the intelligence today to make this decision-making, not human judgment solely, but really with real intelligence driven by the new technologies that we have at our disposal. So yeah, smart inventory planning is what it's about. Thank you very much. Good, good discussion. Wow, that's what we get when we get a really good statement that has some controversy in it and we get a back and forth. Thank you. I'm going to move on to statement number one that Chow Yi sent me and we're going to dive into the details. We talk supply chain almost in a, and I'm going to use a word, a double entendre. We talk about it globally, meaning we talk about it as a thing from the big perspective, but we're going to now talk about what is it? What are the elements? We've talked about inventory. We talked a little bit about capital, but we need to talk about how do you get into doing this? We talked digitalization. What is it we're digitalizing? What is it we're strategizing? So Chow says, visibility and transparency into a company's supply chain will become a key differentiator in what he calls the new normal. I call the next reality. And here's where we're going to go. He says, visibility and transparency apply to many aspects, multiple tiers of suppliers, different operating regions. And I'm 
might even say different operating systems, Chow. Uh, is everybody on the same type of, of computer system? Everybody Is everybody in the cloud? Different business units, different product categories. So let's do take about four minutes. We have plenty of time and dive into what are the elements that actually need to be looked at. And then we'll see what David has to say. Chow, go ahead. And stay, please stay very close to your mic because you're speaking yep. a little bit low. Thank you. Go ahead. Absolutely. And thanks, Bonnie. So before I get into kind of all the details, I'm going to work you through on this kind of topic, which is around supply chain visibility and transparency, which is the very popular top topic nowadays. If you put like, you know, supply chain visibility and transparency in Google, put any of companies and management consulting firms, you know, enterprise software firms, supply chain kind of institutions, you know, academia world, a lot of a lot of content thought leadership are being developed on there. But before we get on into all the details, let me give the audience two data points here so that can pay the ground for us. One, there's a survey conducted by Kenco, which is one of the larger third-party logistics companies in the U.S. The survey is towards all those kinds of supply chain leaders across different companies. And then there's an interesting fact, that data point there. 90% of participants said that supply chain visibility technology was a priority or high priority for them. So which, you know, it's alignment that we all know, like, hey, across all the companies, almost everyone agrees, like, supply chain visibility is super critical. And let me give you another data point, which is another survey conducted by Deloitte in 2021. It's a very latest survey. It says that only 15%, one five, 15% of the respondents say that they have visibilities beyond their tier one suppliers. So you get, like, they you know, the two sides of the story. In one side, you know, all companies say, hey, supply chain visibility, transparency, super critical, high priority for us. In another way, you say, hey, you know, very few of the companies actually have some kind of visibility across, you know, the immediate kind of reach. So you get a sense of where we stand on this kind of topic around like supply chain visibility. And let me deep dive, you know, a little bit uh, on these. So there are different aspects we can link, look into supply chain visibilities, right? You can cut like supply chain across plan, make, source deliver, which is like the typical score model. And they say, hey, what is my visibility? What does visibility mean under each of the pillars? That's one way to look at it. The next way to look at it is all your kind of suppliers, right? Supply chain essentially spends a lot of time as a supply chain kind of professional, spend a lot of time deal with our tier uh, suppliers. And nowadays, you know, companies typically look at the kind of supplier base across different tiers, my tier one suppliers, my tier two, or even kind of tier three, tier four beyond. So that's on your supply supplier base. And there are more aspects that you can look into when you look at supply chain visibility, which one, different regions, right? So especially for all these kind of MNCs that have their business across different regions and countries, how and where your supply chain kind of um, lands on across different regions? Where is your kind of major supply base? Where is major manufacturing base? Where does a you know, manufacturing footballer look at? Is it centrally you know, or heavily indexing Southeast Asia, where like papers are a little bit kind of cheaper, or your supply chain planning is majorly done in Europe, North America, where is your headquarters? So that's kind of the region aspect into it. And the next one you can look into um, supply chain visibility is all your product categories. And, and this is becoming more critical because nowadays companies do a lot of analysis to say, hey, across my entire kind of product suite, which other products are giving me highest top line, which other products give me highest profit, et cetera, et cetera, and how supply chain fits into the products, suites, et cetera. So all these are different kind of aspects you can look into when you are thinking about, hey, how is my supply chain kind of um, transparency and visibility look like? And let me add a couple kind of notes here more. So I think nowadays, you know, companies and particularly C-suites are looking into kind of further their kind of supply chain visibility with all the digital technology, which is really great, but it's not 
supply chain visibility is not just a operational level issue. And the reason why I state that, if you look at a company, how a company operates, you probably have a top level, which is all your strategic alignment, right? Where your CEO, CFOs, you know, your corporate strategy team, maybe with some strategic consulting, you define really a vision for the company and the strategy going forward. And then moves to the operational level, which is where you do all those operational planning, you set up your operating model and hence supply chain comes into play because supply chain tend to be a major component in your value chain, which impacts operations. And hence people tend to say, oh, supply chain visibility is just something we can improve on operational front. It's not so anymore. It's more a strategic issue rather than operational issue. And the future of supply chain visibility, you can imagine or visualize a picture in your head. Think about it as a, a room with like, you know, 10 or maybe 20 or even more kind of monitors. As soon as we can walk in the room, you can click on this uh, monitor and then you can see all the kind of delivery issues, a delivery kind of status of all the products. You click at that kind of monitor, it shows him all the kind of production capacity, et cetera. It clicks the third monitor, it shows him all the kind of raw material procurement, where the raw material is. So that would be like the future of supply chain visibility, whereas you can have the visibility from the top floor to the um, shop floor where you can see all the things from strategic level. So you can make some kind of decisions on the top. You can also look at operational level so you know how that impacts operations. So that's kind of how I think, you know, supply chain and visibility transparency is going to look like in the future. Thank you very much. I feel like I've been in a class, a master <laughs> class. Seriously, very, very well done. Uh, you articulated in, in simple terms and, and your passion for the topic shows through. David Dreyer, anything I'm just going to say, agree or disagree. David, what do you think? Uh, hard to argue with those very salient points. Um, what I would add is, and this is interesting, um, recent surveys that have been conducted, BDO research, for example, um, we, we, we hear, as Chow was mentioning, this groundswell of interest and acclimation to the idea of digital as it applies to supply chain. But you got to get under the hood a little bit on that and say, what does that really mean when you say you're digitizing your supply chain? Does it mean that you're using some kind of automation for how you do procurement? Are you using analytical tools to determine when is the right time to buy what? Um, you know, there's all different levels on that continuum. But I think one common theme that I have heard from other companies is transparency, visibility. That's great. But if that only tells me that I can now see when things are going to be disrupted and late, what good does that do me? What's the real value in that? Other than I get a little more ahead time, a little lead time on when it's going to impact and maybe be able to take some actions. But in reality, this visibility now has to be one element of an integrated whole that says, okay, we have visibility now to see a potential disruption or adverse effect. How do we use things like a business network of e-commerce and B2B commerce mm -hmm. to at, be very agile and say, I'm going to need to resource, I mean, resource that particular material or product, whatever it is. I'm going to have to be able to pivot, essentially, when I see something beginning to happen. And the further in front of that data we get through transparency, obviously, the, the more time and, and effectiveness we can have in reacting. So, I think... My point is that visibility doesn't end with what you are able to see. It's how it empowers how you're able to act. 
what do you do with the actionable data? What actions do you take, right, David? You right. have to do something. Oh, look what our dashboard chart. Well, what are you going to do about it? Chow, anything you want to say back to David? David, I'm putting the next topic in the chat for you. But Chow, anything you want to say back? I really appreciate that kind of the comment that David brought up, which is really around like what to do with the insights. And I think that's something, you know, we probably can touch it later, which is like what kind of talents that can help you to translate the insights into actionable kind of action items. That's our um, next topic. I, yeah, yes. kind of, yeah, you know, make a comment. But I think David really kind of pushed that, you know, uh, for the kind of the comment. And and I have a comment for both of you. We hear about cars, and this is was Judy's show, was the future of cars, Judy Cubis, and that's what we, we moved it to a, a much bigger topic. But we've been talking for several years about the smart car, right? We're talking about sensors in the car. And let's say David is driving down the road and he's on his way to a, a company picnic, let's say, and you can really go. And Chow is his passenger in the car. And all of a sudden, a, a signal comes on, a message comes on this digital dashboard in his car. And it says... David, with all due respect, the fan belt is about to break and you've got 12 miles left and it's going to go snap and pop. And we're going to have a an unpleasant event that will prevent you from getting all of this is said on the dashboard of the car, of course, mm-hmm. in, in a pleasant voice in the language and accent and gender that you choose for that voice. And it says, but David, this is a smart car you're driving. This is the one that Chow's going to buy next. We yeah. have scheduled a repair visit for you at Morty's gas station, which is on exit three that's coming up on 1.2 miles in the right-hand lane, and we're going to move your car gently with your blinker on to the right-hand lane. You're going to get off, and Morty has got the replacement of the fan belt. It will cost you $125. It will go on your Apple Pay. You don't even have to sign for it, and you will be back on the road, and we guarantee you'll be at the picnic in time to make sure the potato salad in your car doesn't spoil. Okay, now wouldn't it be nice in manufacturing if the message we're talking about, right, Chow, on the supply chain says, I have data for you. And I'm telling you that that silk thread is running out. And we know that you've got this huge burgeoning market for silk scarves and you're not you're going to be running out of silk. So we have arranged for you to source your silk from another company that knows you're ready. The order has been wouldn't. Is that reality, Chow? Is that going to happen where it's all digital? What do you think? Well, am am yeah. I dreaming? No, Bonnie, actually, definitely not, I'm not dreaming. And we already seen that's happening, right? With like, you know, Tesla is an example. You already have some intelligence built into the car. And and let me add a comment here. It's not applying, it's not just happening in the auto industry, actually. And it happens across all the industrial manufacturings, mm-hmm. the heavy equipment, et cetera, et cetera, where Manufacturers, all those kind of uh, equipments are adding more intelligent technologies such as IoT, et cetera, into the equipment so that it can be smarter. And that's actually one of the key themes that we see, you know, that's rising very rapidly and it's causing a lot of problems to the manufacturers. So they definitely need to kind of revisit their supply chain, their manufacturing strategy, et cetera, et cetera, to get ready to deliver on that promise that is yes. rising up. Yes. David, any comments on getting to the picnic with the, with the unspoiled <laughs> potato salad? As as long as I have the option to choose at the end of the day, right, I want supervised intelligence where the human still has input into what the ultimate decision is. It's fantastic. It's funny. As soon as you were reading that, it took me back to when I was 11 years old, sitting in a movie theater with my mother, watching 2001 A Space Odyssey, the Stanley Kubrick classic. And do you remember Dave, who happened to be the lead uh, protagonist in that film, was saying, Hal, open the pod bay doors. And Hal came back and said, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. Hal, open the pod bay doors. So that was, that was a, the, the 
computer sort of taking over the whole mission. But where it got interesting was exactly that same thing Hal said, oh, wait a minute, I detect this transponder is going to fail with 100% certainty in 24 hours. So this was 1968 that we were envisioning that kind of capability, which is remarkable. I, I agree with Chad though, we are on the cusp of seeing that mm -hmm. come to life across a number of industries in a number of dif different ways. Automotive, very exciting. And underlying all this is the concept of the digital twin, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever products we are manufacturing now have also a digital corresponding life where real-time data can be infused to that digital twin that comes from all different sources, including, as you cited with the automotive uh, example there, uh, monitoring of the health systems of the vehicle. All that can be brought together into a network. And I think the future that we're going to see with supply chain is enormous power of networks. And you know what that means? It means it's going to be more exciting to work in those fields, isn't it? Yes. And that topic we're going to talk about next as far as work. So I'm reading a little bit of statement number four from David. And then David will run with it. We'll see what Chow yes. Yi has to say. He says, perhaps like the captain in the film Cool Hand Luke, quote, and this is another iconic movie quote, what we have here is failure to communicate. And David says, the conversations that are widespread now are exploring new models of work. Uh-huh. People, Chow, you mentioned this. And what it means to provide value in any enterprise is personal, physical presence, the defining characteristic of delivering value in work. Let's talk about the future of work in the context of manufacturing and supply chain. David, why don't you take it for us? Yeah. And, you know, I think we saw a lot of really interesting examples of that. You know, part of the disruption was the workforce could not be brought in to execute activities that were needed, in particular around shipping ports all across the world. So we have all these products and containers that are starting to pile up at ports and unable to get the workforce necessary to move that. And that is still a lingering challenge. Uh, estimates are that the congestion and bringing back sort of the normal flow to our shipping processes, we're in well into 2022 before we start to see that normalize again because of all the buildup, all these sea containers that never got distributed. And we just talked about that with the delays that we saw. So people having a physical presence, obviously in many contexts, very necessary unless we come up with some kind of, you know, fantastic automation and everything becomes automated. We're, we're a long way away from that happening. So we, we need to understand who needs to add value by physical presence. Where can that physical presence be augmented through cobots, right? Human assisted robotic capabilities. And a lot of manufacturers are really starting to look at that now. And they're looking at it with a new lens. And that is one where when we talk about sustainability, we also talk about the health of our workforce and their safety. And so there's a lot more focus now on maybe we need to change some of our processes in manufacturing to make the work that humans have to do uh, less risky, uh, more rewarding, more intelligent perhaps in, in many cases. But some of those people can be further augmented by remote virtual resources, including other people. So we've seen over the shoulder guidance from experts where you can really leverage the knowledge that is contained often in a very small group of people across a very broad base of workers, they have smart glasses, and through those glasses, a remote support person can see exactly what they're looking at, can understand the challenge, and can push information to that worker that will help them rapidly solve problems or 
adapt to whatever the situation may be. So that is the nature of work that I'm talking about when I say it really now can be augmented in a number of ways, not just automated to take the human out. And I think that, that presents tremendous opportunities for manufacturers. David, thank you. And I want to do a definition here before I ask Chow to comment. Cobot, I've never heard the word and I looked it up quickly on Wikipedia. Just let me read this. A cobot, C-O-B-O-T, or collaborative robot, and CO from collaborative robot from bot from robot, is a robot intended for direct human-robot interaction within a shared space. Or where humans and robots are in close proximity, cobot applications contrast with traditional industrial robot applications in which robots were isolated from human contact. Is this about, about right, David? That sounds right. Thank you. Ciao. Talk to us and stay close to your microphone. We want to hear all your words of wisdom here. Go ahead. Absolutely. So this this time, let me actually agree to, you know, uh, David said 100%. I think that's a great way to summarize what's happening around like automation in these kind of manufacturing space. So I have like two comments I want to add. One is, I think, you know, we talk about all these kind of different applications, automation technologies across kind of entire value chain for any manufacturers, right? can be applied in a uh, manufacturing facility where you can, you know, uh, instead of having kind of um, human labor incentive assemblies, you can have all these kind of robots, right? And the scene in Dave's background picture is actually casing the point where you have all the robots, right? Mm-hmm. Assembly different parts, and hopefully the audience can see it. But my point around this is you probably need some kind of underlying technology that connects all the different kind of pieces, right? You have a manufacturing plant in, let's say, you know, um, New York, you have a kind of a distribution center in you know, Arizona, you have some other kind of facilities in Asia, all that, and you apply all these technologies. But one thing that really stands out is all those data, right? And data needs to kind of flow through different kind of parts of your entire value chain, which requires some kind of underlying technology. So that becomes really kind of the, part, the, the foundation that for you to enable all those kind of automation technology across your entire kind of manufacturing footprint. So that's my note of my comment number one. And number two is, let's also acknowledge that it's a journey for the manufacturers to move from now to eventually they want to have automation applied across their you know, entire footprint or entire kind of operations. They won't be able to kind of change or replace everything from day one, right? And they need to have a plan in place where they start, which is the best kind of manufacturing kind of um plan, they can apply all these technologies, uh, automation technologies, so that they can replicate that and use that as a learning curve for other kind of manufacturing facilities they have. So there's a learning curve, and it's going to be a journey. And hence, the manufacturers need to have some kind of clearly thought plans that help them to map out, hey, I have a three-year plan that I'm going to do all these automation technology applications across my entire footprint, starting with this manufacturing plan in New York, starting with that, that. So it's going to be a journey and there will be some lessons learned and there will be some learning curves. But the good thing is with all these kind of, you know, technologies available, thought leaders, you know, best practices that, you know, all different companies offer, they are not alone in the journey. So that's kind of my two comments on that. Thank you. I hear some optimism in that. David Dreyer, anything you want to comment back to Chow? Interesting. It goes back to uh, when I introduced the program that SAP has for Industry 4, Industry 4.now. Mm-hmm. And we have been stressing to companies for years now, exactly to the point Chow is making, this is a journey where you're going to have to learn. And you're going to have to learn in the context of things that are perhaps only relevant to your business, right? And the way you do business. So no one else can tell you what it is you need to learn. You're going to have to go through it yourself. What that means is 
the sooner you start, the sooner you start to learn, the sooner you can start getting better. So start now if you haven't. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great topic around the table. And I love the idea of cobots. Thank you for teaching me a new word, David. I always like to learn from my guests. We are going to be able to squeeze in one more topic. We've got about eight minutes left to the show. And I've selected statement number four from Chow Yi. And we're introducing, I think, a new word we haven't talked about on the show yet. Servitization. Servitization and new business models are an emerging theme across multiple industry seg- sector segments. I'm going to stop there, Chow. I'm going to let you explain it. Why don't you take about, oh, three, four minutes, and we'll give David equal time, and then we will wrap up. Go ahead, Chow. Absolutely, and thanks, Bonnie. So um, let me kind of spend the first two minutes explain a little bit of what do we mean by servitization and being this new business model and how that impacts the supply chain. So servitization and new business models, as we see, are something that industrial manufacturers are moving towards nowadays meaning they're not just, or they're no longer selling just equipments. They're moving towards a service-oriented business model. You know, for example, you have a big equipment that you typically sell to the end customers, let's say a heavy kind of machinery user by you know, those construction companies, right, to build the kind of buildings, et cetera, et cetera. What's happening in the past and now, probably now still for, for, to some extent is you, this is a one-time sale, right? You sell the equipment, it moves from your balance sheet to the other's balance sheet. You sell some kind of add-on services to it. Companies will use it. It's on their balance sheet. You don't need to worry about it. They have to depreciate that along the years. But what we see here is uh, manufacturers of such kind of equipment are exploring new business opportunity. Instead of selling you know, the hardware, the equipment, they're selling the services. They sell you the usage. They sell you the right to use the equipment. And this actually started from um, some other industry, for example, software. Initially, you know, there were software it's a one-time sale, but now with cloud, with everything, it's moving towards subscription services or model. And we see like industrial manufacturer moving towards that direction as well. So that's what we meant by servitization and new business models. And there are different variations or variants of like the new business models. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of kind of we call outcome-based business model, which is you um, as a manufacturer of the equipment, you have the kind of equipment on the customer side depending on how much they use the equipment, you charge them for the usage. Or it can be you know, based on the outcome. Hey, you use these, for example, a printer. You use a printer, you print like 100 pieces of kind of papers, you charge for each of the pieces of the paper they print, and that's based on outcome. So there are different variants, but the point is they're moving away or they're moving towards, instead of selling the hardware, one-time sale, they're moving towards selling services, they're moving towards selling usage, they're moving towards selling outcome. So that's what we meant by sovietization new business model. And that what, that's what we see as an emergency at least among industrial manufacturers. And let me come to like the second point, which is around how these new themes can impact supply chain. So as you know, I think at the beginning of this kind of show, Bonnie mentioned that for a lot of C-suites, you know, supply chain used to be an afterthought. And my take on that is, you know, um, professionals or kind of corporate C-suites they tend to look at supply chain as a cost function, right? It's only about cost. It's about reduce the, uh, the supply cost, find the best uh, suppliers with the, you know, the most kind of reasonable cost so that it can improve my margin, et cetera, et cetera. Even though all these kind of matching the demand with the supply so that we can, I can reduce the inventory, also it's about cost and working capital. But with this new um, kind of emergence of these kind of new business models and sovietization, mm-hmm. I, I think supply chain is slowly taking the center stage and what it meant by that. Think about it, you are selling a one-time equipment, right? You're selling the laptop, it's done. You, as a salesperson, you close a deal. It's none of our business. It's in the customer's hands. 
But now you're selling the laptop as a usage. You need to take care of the laptop throughout the laptop's lifetime. And here comes the interesting part, which is the customer experiences. All of us are consumers. We buy, we shop online. We expect Amazon Prime to deliver you know, in the last two hours after you order, right? if not the next day. And we're used to that. And it happens to industrial kind of manufacturing the customers that they're used to have a superior customer experience. And then once you move towards service-oriented business model, they're expecting a similar level of quality in the customer services you provide. Hence, supply chain becomes more critical because you want to make sure that in ordering kind of process, they have a smooth ordering process. They know, you know what's the promise day and you can stick to the promise day in the ordering process. And in the manufacturing and design phase, you can have their kind of requirements rightfully captured, design your products, manufacture products. And then in the delivery installation process, you, can, you will make sure that the customers can see all these in the installation, delivery, track the delivery of all these kind of components for your equipment. So along the journey, supply chain becomes even more critical. So that's kind of my two points on this revitalization new business model. Thank you very much, Chow. We've got about two and a half minutes left. David Dreyer, I want to get your comments in. What do you think? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, the servitization uh, dimension is very fascinating. We're seeing a lot of companies start to adopt that. And the distinguishing, I think the distinguishing factor in this is it's all about outcomes for the customer. What does the customer really want? This gets you into service level agreements and that sort of thing. You know, there's uh, sort of an adage that when someone buys a drill, they don't really want the drill. They want holes in a wall, right? So their outcome is reliably producing the size and dimension of holes that are needed. So we even see that in some cases, companies who typically sold those kinds of tools are now providing them as a service, right? And they're tracking them with IoT. And the important thing here is when you go to a servitized model like that, the producer is still tethered to that asset with this digital threat. And they're able to see how it's used. They're able to see the frequency of maintenance or they can make recommendations about the frequency of maintenance. So there's value added using intelligence in that relationship when you maintain connection between the producer and the outcomes that the user is looking for. So that's a great dimension, I think. Thank you very much. I have to thank the two of you for bringing up such interesting topics. We covered, I think, a vast array for a one-hour show with two panelists. Uh, I learned a lot. I think I know our audience will. I want to thank Judy Kubis again. Judy, this was a, a very, very timely and relevant topic for everybody, consumer, industrialist, wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you're buying, whether you're selling, whether you're manufacturing, whether you're supplying, everybody up and down the supply chain from source to resource. So thank you very much for that, Judy. Uh, Chow Yi, such a pleasure to meet you. You are a font of information. I feel like I've attended a masterclass. David Dreyer, same thing. I learned so much from you. And if Mm -hmm. I did, after doing the show for so many years, I know that our listeners will. I want to do a shout out to Aaron Keller at Voice America Radio, the business channel for getting us on the air. Aaron started working with me two years ago and he was 26 at the time. He's 62 now. So I know we put him through his paces. I made you smile, David Dreyer. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. How appropriate for mobility in cars. What are you waiting for? My car is still getting a month and a half to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like David Dreyer. David, don't be a stranger. Come back soon. And just like Chow Yi, a pleasure as well. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave bye-bye. Don't go away. We're going to take pictures. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.